listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. So if you have your Bible, would you turn to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. Love turning to God's word, God's perfect, inerrant, infallible, sufficient revelation to man. God spoke to us through his word, written by the Holy Spirit through men to teach us, to admonish us, to equip us, and most of all, to show us our need of Jesus Christ, right? We wouldn't know of Jesus Christ apart from God's word. And so you have an amazing book in your hands this morning, and it teaches you. Love how God's word in the hands of his spirit is always careful to cut us deep, right? To, to open us up and to show us our sin, show us our need. God does spiritual surgery on our souls. He lovingly opens us up. He finds the problems. He shows us our issues. He shows us our sin, but he provides the cure. And the cure is Jesus Christ alone. I love that the word also puts us back together again in Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to be going to the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians is centered on Jesus Christ. Jesus as preeminent. Jesus as supreme. Jesus as number one. He is number one over all creation, over all humanity, over all of the spiritual realm. He is over the church. He is over our families And he should be number one in our hearts. He is supreme. That all things, he would be preeminent. Jesus is our only hope, our our only cure, our only solution. And we get this great pleasure again this morning of seeing this truth unfold today through God's word. So are you ready to hear God's word this morning? Are you ready? All right, I'm with you as well. So I want to start by taking a quick poll from, from all you folk here this morning. When it comes to technology, you know, the little phones that you pack around or the little uh, tablets that you have, when it comes to technology, what is your preferred technology? So let's see a a show of hands if you are an Apple person. Okay, quite a few out there. Okay, how about for those who are an Android user? All right, it's about 50-50. Now, this is a tricky question. Who still has a BlackBerry? Anybody out there? (laughs) <laughs> this guy up front might have a BlackBerry. Anyways. Our, okay, awesome, awesome, yeah. How many people here love technology? Yeah? How many people despise technology? All right, okay. How many of you love the pursuit of getting a brand new device, a brand new piece of technology? Right? Your, your heart kind of skips a beat when you walk by the Apple store. Right, you're just kind of waiting for the phone to fall out of your pocket when there's only two months left in your contract just to accidentally break that screen. So you got to go in and get a new one, right? Oops, I dropped my phone. You kind of salivate over these endless possibilities that they're selling to you on these, these big announcements, these big reveals that they have going. So you kind of get excited about new technology. You, you, take, you go to the store and you, and you buy that, that little white box or, or whatever the Android color is out there and you take it home and, and you, you unwrap it and you, and you turn it on and then you want to explore all of its glorious features, right? Like all of these amazing things that this phone is going to do for me. So I got to confess, I do love opening new technology. I like it when my contract is up and I get to go and, and get a new one and I love to turn it on and check all the new things, explore all the new options, I'm kind of one of those guys that loves that. But it's really kind of silly when you think about it, isn't it? Because when you go to buy that technology, it's already out of date, right? It's already old news. It's old technology. And it's so temporary and it is so fleeting. Well, today, friends, we get to unwrap something much more special, something eternal, something so much more beautiful, something so much more heavenly, something from God. And we're going to do that through God's word today. We're going to be looking at our new hearts that are found in him. And so let's open up to Colossians 3. And we're going to be looking at verses 12 to 17 here this morning. Colossians 3 verses 12 to 17. And Paul writes to the Colossian church, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Let's ask for the Spirit's help. Lord, we thank you for this amazing privilege yet again to open up your word that you wrote to us, that you specially wrote to us to teach us about our need for Jesus. And we love, Lord, that you, in the book of Colossians and throughout your word, you teach us that he is first, he is supreme, he is preeminent. And I pray this morning that uh, as we walk into this room, as we walk in to, as these people, as we have a lot of weeks still on us from this past week, struggles and sin, that you would cleanse us of our sin, that you would restore our relationship with you, that you would bring us into a place of, of spirit and truth, longing to serve you, longing to love you, and seeing Jesus as first. And Lord, as we look at this text today, help us to discover what it means to put on Christ to put on these new hearts that you have given us. Lord, we thank you that, that you show us that it's impossible to follow you apart from Christ. That it's, it's a useless endeavor to even try to follow you apart from him. And we thank you for your spirit that is in us. Teach us by your spirit, by your word this morning. We ask in the name of Christ. Amen. All right. So we get to unwrap an amazing gift from God. So as Christians, when you are saved, when you are made new, you have been given a gift from God. You have been given a new heart. This is a life-altering gift. And there is powerful options, more powerful than you could ever imagine in that new heart as you turn it on, as you discover it. Things that are eternal, things that are redeeming, things that are forever. And so today, like I said, we get to examine this new gift this new spiritual heart we have. And we're going to see four glorious functions given to us by Christ with our new heart. And the first one is this. The first point is to unwrap it. Discover your new heart of compassion. Looking at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. You see hearts there. Hearts at the center. Well, up to this point in the book of Colossians, Paul has spilt much ink on refuting some false teaching. This is some of the context here. And he's been building a case for Christ alone. Christ alone as the foundation of the church, as the foundation for our hearts. Uh, in chapter 2, uh, you would learn that this young church was being influenced by, by worldly ideas, by legalism. And they were having an infatuation with the spiritual realm. And these false teachers were using us. They were, they were teaching that Jesus was not enough. They were teaching that you needed something more. And so Paul is writing in all of his apostolic authority. And he's teaching that the gospel is Jesus plus nothing. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And then in chapter 3, Paul begins to instruct the Colossians how they are to apply this foundation how they are to apply this gospel to their lives by setting their minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on this earth, and to be putting off old ways, putting off our old man, putting off sexual immorality, impurity, evil, desire, slander, malice, obscene talk. And the language here is really like putting off, new, or putting off old clothes. And then today we get to see that we get to put on new clothes, New clothes that are purchased for us in the blood of Jesus Christ. New hearts. And so we see in verse 12, Paul teaching the Colossian church and all of us who are our Christians that we are God's chosen ones. That we the church are holy and 
Beloved, do you feel like a chosen one this morning? One who is holy and beloved by the Lord. Well, where does all this come from? Why, why is this statement so important? Well, Paul here is using this language for the Colossian church, and it's the same language used for God's people in all of God's word. Look at De- Deuteronomy 7, 6 to 7. For you are a people holy to the Lord. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. You were the fewest of all people. So we see here that Israel and God's people are holy and chosen, not because they're anything great. It's because God said so. And they are a treasured people to him. He loves them. You are beloved of the Lord. Again, not by anything great of your own endeavor, but because you have a loving God who chooses you. And so Israel was God's covenant people, a chosen people, loved by God, the people that God revealed himself to. They were the people of the promise of a coming Savior from the very beginning. And ever since Christ, the Messiah, came and he lived and died and he rose again, he fulfilled all of the Old Testament promises in his blood. Jews and Gentiles now are are brought together in the New Testament as a part of these chosen people. When you repent of your sin and you believe in Jesus Christ for salvation, you are chosen by God and brought into his fold. You are holy, beloved, and chosen. And so if you are in Christ this morning, you need to say to I, I am chosen. I am beloved. I am of the Lord. I am his people. He loves me. And we see this all through the New Testament as well. 1 Peter 2.9, speaking about the New Testament church, says, But you are a chosen race. You are a, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What an amazing God we have. Friends, we have received such mercy, such grace. And in Jesus, we are chosen, we are holy, and we are beloved. Chosen helps us to remember that we are called and we are saved by God. Remember, we didn't save ourselves. Holy reminds us that we are chosen to be set apart. We are are distinct from the world. Beloved reminds us that all of this took place because of the great love that God has for his people. God has great love for his people. Christ loves his bride. He loves us in all of our weakness and in our sin. And he loves you so much that he saved you from your sin. And so we see this in this choosing and in the saving that God makes us new, right? He he raises you from your spiritual death. And he gives you a new heart with new holy desires. A new heart with Christ-like desires. So because we are chosen, because we are holy and beloved, Paul calls us to put on hearts of compassion. It's like putting on brand new clothes. It's like standing in the mirror and seeing the new you, seeing your new heart in all of its heavenly glory. This should be so much more exciting than, than, than anticipating that new device or that new car or that new home. This is the greatest gift you could ever imagine. It's a heavenly gift. It's an eternal gift. It's a glorious gift. No longer do I have to be a slave to my old flesh any longer. I have new life in Jesus Christ, new heart. My old hunger for sexual immorality and impurity and evil passion and evil desire, covetousness, idolatry, anger, wrath, malice, slander. This is all stuff at the start of chapter 3. It's obscene talk and, and lying. This, I'm not a slave to that anymore. Now I get in this new heart the supernatural ability to engage the world with a brand new heart. To have genuine compassion 
genuine kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. These are all included in the package. Nothing is left out. And you don't pay any extra for this. In fact, you can't buy this. This is purchased in the blood of Jesus Christ. This is given to you freely in him when you turn from your sin and trust in him fully. Remember, Jesus is the one who is preeminent in compassion. He is the one who is supreme in kindness. He is the one who is first in humility. He is the one who is number one in meekness. And he is the one that is entirely patient with you and with me. And so we see these features, and I want to show you some of these features of this new heart. And so we got a a little list here. The first is a compassionate heart. Compassionate heart. So the root of this phrase is, is really translated bowels of mercy. Is that something that we really like to say today? How's your bowels of mercy doing today? That's not something that we we talk about. But in the Jewish times, your heart was this place, this bowels of mercy. I know that sounds a little weird, but it it made total sense. That's, That's the place where all of your being was. That's where all of your thoughts was. That's where love took place. And today we call that our heart, right? Even though we know it's not our physical heart. It's our our center, our spirit. It's who we are. It's our soul. The heart is the center of our emotions. And so we see that we can have compassionate hearts, tender-hearted mercy, it would say in the New Living Translation. Heartfelt compassion, genuine concern for others. So this means that in Christ, my heart is now less focused on my own needs and full of mercy towards other people. Compassionate heart. The next is kindness, Christ-centered kindness. It means to be full of grace and the goodness of God. It shows that I'm no longer harsh anymore. It's a godly kind of graciousness and goodness towards others. It's like Christ's very own kindness in Ephesians 2, 7, where it says, so that in the coming ages, he might show his immeasurable riches of grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. True Christ motivated kindness. You know, the world can be kind at times, right? But this is Christ-centered, motivated, Christ-exalting, vertical kindness. And then we see humility. Humility. What's interesting about humility in the ancient world is that it wasn't really a celebrated attribute. In fact, humility in the Greco-Roman era was often regarded as cowardice and pride. Pride and pomp were, were celebrated. But like, like we see in, 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 in Acts that Christianity was turning the world right side up, right? Humility is to be desired. Just like Christ from Philippians 2.8, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. True Christ-motivated, Christ-exampled, and empowered humility. Christ is Humility. We can't be humble in our own power. We can't be Christ-centered and humble in our own power. We have to be motivated and indwelt by the Spirit to do that. And then we see gentleness here as well within this new heart. This is closely tied to humility. Um, The Greek lexicon defines uh, gentleness as the quality of not being overly impressed by the sense of one's importance. Right? Not being in love with yourself, but pouring out that gentleness to other people. Again, this is an attribute of Christ, Matthew eleven twenty nine. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart. So you see, all of these things are wrapped up in Jesus Christ, in his person. All of these qualities of this new heart are from him, and it's a gift to you. And then patience. Anybody here impatient? I got to tell you, I'm one of the most impatient guys when it comes to traffic. I've been driving through Kelowna the last week. And I'm trying to figure out how they time the lights in this city. And I've been very impatient the whole time. So I struggle with patience. I need Christ-motivated patience. Charles Spurgeon says about patience, patience is a grace. 
as difficult as it is necessary and as hard to come by as it is precious when it is gained. Patience, patience, you're always in a hurry, but God is not. Patience is a struggle of mine. 1 Timothy 1, 15 to 16. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him for eternal life. So with this new heart, you can have true patience, patience for others. And so we need to unwrap that heart, right? First stage is to unwrap it and put it on. Paul is saying, put it on. Discover these new godly features you have, this compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. But the problem is, is that sometimes we don't put it on, right? We don't open it up right away. We might be looking at it, it might look good, but we, we just don't want to go there and put it on yet. You ever uh, receive a gift from somebody, like, or, or you, you're giving somebody a gift, and you're excited to give them that gift, and you, you give it to them, and then they put it in their lap, and then they don't open it. That's so frustrating. It drives me crazy. Right? Have you ever, uh, you ever gone shopping with someone, and, and you go to buy a new shirt or, or a new dress, and then they take it home and they hang it up in the closet and they don't wear it for months. This drives me crazy as well. I remember when I, when I was a kid and I would get a, a new present, maybe a new piece of clothing, whatever it is, I would barely be home before I had the thing on. I love putting on new things or opening up new things. I couldn't wait to put it on. And that's, it's the same here with, with our hearts. Sometimes we don't put it on, right? And Paul's saying, like new clothes, you got, you got to put it on. And Paul is showing us here in such a greater way that we have this gift. We have this new heart. No longer do we have this heart of stone. No longer are our hearts bent on pleasing ourselves. We get the incredible privilege of having a new heart with new attitudes. We get unprecedented access to the heart of Christ. And so let me ask you, have you unwrapped your heart. Have you unwrapped that present? Have you unwrapped what God has made for you? When it comes to repentance and faith, we need to put it on. We need to discover the features. Right? So if you are in Christ, as, as Paul was already teaching in Colossians, you need to put off the old man and you need to put on the new. Sometimes we focus so much on putting off the old man we don't really realize that most of the work is the putting on of Christ. We're fighting sin. We're putting our old ways away. But the proactive method and, and the secret to staying on the path of Christ is to put on that new heart. It's a proactive step. God will be doing it. So we get to put on compassion. We get kindness, humility, meekness, and patience with this new heart. And then we also get access to one of the greatest attributes of all, and that is forgiveness. So after you unwrap this, this heart of compassion, you need to press that power button. You need to turn it on. It needs to be fired up, which leads to point two. We need to switch it on. We need to unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. Unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. Verse 13, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against one another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Friends, the true heart of Christ is full of compassion and it is full of forgiveness. This new heart that we inherit from Christ it's no, it's no longer satisfied with quarreling. It's no longer satisfied with division and broken relationships. It's a heart that wants to bear with one another. So there's no doubt that in this Colossian church, this church would have been made up of, of many different people, just like we see here this morning, right? A fairly young church made up of, of many different people. 
Jews and Gentiles were a part of that original church. There would have been many transient people in that city because it was a, a, a town on a crossroads. And there would have been many problems that come with the people, right? And it's true with, with any church. People bring problems, which is why we're here. It's often said that uh, the problem with the church is that the, the church is full of people. Have you heard that before? Right? You and I come to church with, with different upbringings, different backgrounds, different testimonies, different affiliations, different preferences. And friends, the church at times can be a little messy. It can be. People's feelings may get hurt. People may have certain expectations of leadership. They may have certain convictions from Scripture. It would be different from the next person. Relationships can be strained. People can come and people can go. But one of the secrets we need to know is that true unity is found right here in the text. We need to be bearing with one another or put up with one another. The sense is, is to endure something unpleasant, right? Something difficult. How many people think that, that people can be difficult at times? I know that I can be difficult at times as well. Now, the truth is, friends, that, that we will hurt each other. You will hurt each other. Say that with me this morning. We will hurt each other. We're just going to do that, right? We, we should expect that to some extent. But, but we are united in Christ, and he has made the way for us to deal with this. You know, we want to go our own way at times, right? We will sin against each other. And so Paul says here that we need, we need to be ready for this. And we need to be prepared to live a life of forgiveness for one another. He says, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. How? As the Lord has forgiven you. So you must also forgive. The Christian life is a life of forgiveness. We ought to be living lives of forgiveness. It should be a regular occurrence in our life as Christians. It's extending grace to others. It's freely offering grace to people who don't deserve to be forgiven, right? None of us deserve to be forgiven. But we are to forgive as God forgives. He, he forgives those who are undeserving of forgiveness. And so the one thing that I've learned in my life in the church is that the church is not perfect, right? We are not in heaven yet. It's going to be perfect one day. Us with the Lord, no more sin, no more sorrow, no more quarreling. But while we are here, we are to practice forgiveness. So in church and in life as Christians, things don't always go smoothly. People will assume things, people will accuse things, people will expect things, and people don't communicate clearly. Sometimes if we have a problem and we're sinned against, we just keep it inside, or we choose not to forgive. Sometimes we, we fail to follow the biblical practice of reconciliation, Right? And we often run into to sins of the mouth, just like was in the start of chapter 3, obscene talk. So what we need to do is to expect that it's not going to be perfect. Espe expect that we will fall short as a church. And we need to expect and anticipate that we will have to forgive one another. So as you walk in the doors in church this morning, or as you do life during the week, just expect, hey, I'm going to have to forgive somebody this week. You know, or I desire to be forgiven by someone else. It's, it's just a regular part of the Christian life, something activated in that new heart. So if someone has a grievance against someone else, let's not be satisfied with pointing fingers. Let's not be satisfied with relational breakdown. Let's always be ready and willing to forgive. Because why? Because we have been forgiven so much in Jesus Christ. Our sins are worthy of eternal damnation. And yet God, full of grace, sends his son to save lost sinners. We have been forgiven so much. This blood that was poured out in Christ's veins. You know, the average human being holds about five and a half liters of blood. That's like a jug and a half of, of, of milk, right? 
So it's relatively small when you think about it. But the amount of blood that poured out of Jesus Christ was the amount of blood to forgive every repentant sinner who has ever existed in this world for all history. So we must also forgive in humility. An example of Christ is sacrificially, fully forgiving one another. This is a huge topic, forgiveness. But let me ask you, are you a forgiver? Are you readily forgiving people in your life? Or are you a person who easily is hurt? Do you run to bitterness instead of forgiveness? For example, if you have a spouse and your spouse sins against you, let's say that it's a sin that that truly hurts you deeply and your, your spouse sees their sin. They see how they've hurt you. And they are seeking forgiveness. In that case, do you act like judge and jury because you're hurt? Or are you a person that runs to forgiveness? It's on full display in our marriages, this act of forgiving one another. It's ongoing all the time. Friends, we have been forgiven so much. Take some time this week and try to comprehend the depths of forgiveness for you through Jesus Christ. It's unending. Remember all of the sins that you have committed against God. And then remember that only one sin is worthy of eternal wrath. Because he is so holy and he is so good. But he's also so full of grace and mercy to forgive you. So the Lord has forgiven you and he has forgiven you so much and so you must also forgive. Now on a side note, let me just ask, does forgiveness just mean that we overlook everything? Does forgiveness mean we don't confront unrepentant sin? No, it doesn't. Does forgiveness mean that, uh, that repentance has to be involved? Yes, it does. True reconciliation and forgiveness is based on repentance and faith. We see that in our salvation, right? God forgives those who who have repented of their, their sin. And so are you seeking forgiveness? And in your seeking of forgiveness, is there repentance and confession of your sin along with that. And so that's something to be thinking about with, with repentance or with forgiveness. It's, it's, of course, a big topic to be talking about. But this is activated in this new heart, this ability to forgive as God forgives. And it is so beautiful. One commentator says this, by forgiving, we do become Christ to others. By bearing in our bodies the weight of unjust accusation, undeserved pain, and unretaliated harm. We are the Holy Spirit's message of Jesus to others. By the practice of forgiveness, we have the privilege of being a living witness to the one we most love and who has loved us eternally and sacrificially. Friends, we ultimately forgive each other for the Lord. He has forgiven us so much. So this Christian life is is ongoing uh, forgiveness and ongoing confession, ongoing repentance and reconciliation. Forgiveness for the sake of Christ's name. And so as we look at this idea of putting on these new clothes, putting on this new heart, forgiveness is also right at the center. And so we need to unleash the reconciling power of whole heart forgiveness. And the byproduct of this is that it leads to harmony. It leads to peace. It leads to unity. So if you've unwrapped that new heart and you've you've switched it on, and you've unleashed this power of forgiveness, next, you need to set it up. You need to set it up. You need to govern your heart with harmonious love. Verse 14. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Above all these, it says, put on love. Like I said, the original context is, is, is about putting on clothes. And above all of these, what you want to put on, which, which has a context of being like an outer coat, a covering, cover it with love. Rule it with love. This is the virtue of love. So when you think of compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, and forgiveness, 
You need to think of love as the binding agent that holds it all together. John MacArthur says, Love is the most important moral quality in the believer's life. For it is the very glue that produces unity in the church. Believers will never enjoy mutual fellowship through compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, or patience. They will not bear with each other or forgive each other unless they love one another. Let me ask you, do you love the people in your church? Do you love them? How well are you doing with loving one another? Friends, I know in our church we have this statement in our doctrine and it says this, on the major's conviction, on the minor's tolerance, but in all things love. Love is the agent that produces loving unity in the church. And Jesus said this, he said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It's the glue. It's the evidence why is love so powerful? Why can love unite people who are so different, so many different backgrounds, so many different ways that we can hurt one another? Why is love so powerful to unite? Well, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love is patience and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the love of Christ. Eternal love. And this is love that is preloaded in that new heart that you get. And it's the operating system of that heart. It's a supernatural byproduct which brings supernatural unity in God's people. And it's this love that, that Paul says, Paul says it binds everything together in perfect harmony. So this kind of love leads to peace. And so we let the peace of Christ, which is driven by love, rule in our hearts. Let's govern your heart for which you were indeed called in one body. That's speaking of, of unity. And in that, be thankful Friends, in love we are called by God. In love we have been saved from our sin. In love we have been saved to the church. In love we are unified. In love we are at peace with God. And we are at peace with one another. Love is powerful. And love has been God's plan from the beginning. God is preparing for himself a bride. That's you. You are the bride of Christ. And his plan is to prepare you for him as a unified bride. Unified together. Full of love for one another. Brought together by love. And so we need to let love govern our hearts. We need to let love rule in our hearts. And it'll bring peace and harmony and unity in the body of Christ. You ever struggle with a, a strained relationship with a brother or a sister in Christ? Maybe you're, maybe you're in some strife right now in your marriage. Maybe you have a constant struggle with a coworker or bosses. Whatever that relational problem is, you need to stop and take a look at your own heart. Is love ruling? Am I engaging my new heart that is preloaded with Christ's love? Is my heart turning? away from people? Is it churning? Is it boiling in anger? Or is it defaulting to love? So our answer to relational conflict is to let love rule, the love of Christ, especially in the church. We need to get out of our own way sometimes, right? Let Christ's love rule. And so your answer in relational conflict is not to win, it's not to get your own way. It's not to get vengeance or justice. Your only hope for peace and unity is love. So we need to put on that heart, switch it on, 
Let love govern. It's like the operating system of your heart. This is done through the power of the Holy Spirit, informed by God's word. And so set it up. Set your operating system to harmonious love. After you've unwrapped that heart, you install it, you turn it on, you set it up. And the last thing we need to do is to keep it charged. You need to keep it charged. Charge up. Fuel your heart with word-driven worship. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So as you think over your life over this past week or month or two, what role has the word of Christ played in your life? Just think about this past week. How has it played into your life? Where is scripture, that Bible in your hands, how is it playing? Has it been a vibrant love this week, God's word? Has it been an overwhelming joy to you this week? Has it been abundantly gracious to you this week? Has it been the foundation of your soul this week? Has the word of God been dwelling in your heart richly, which means to take up residence, to, to live within you? This is abundant. This is extravagant. It's, it's God's word. Is God's word at home in your heart right now? Paul says it needs to be. The Lord says it needs to be. As great as we should be asking ourselves this question personally, the context that Paul's speaking here is, is in the church. Paul wants to show this Colossian church that is struggling with, with false teaching and, and struggling with their identity. That their only hope is to put Christ at the center, to let the word of God dwell richly. To let the very word of God be at the center of all that they do. And we see that, that he, he gives some really practical ways that we do this as a church. And so how are we to keep this unity and love going in the church? Right? We need to let the, let the word of God dwell richly in our hearts as the church. And so we must teach God's word. We must apply God's word. We must sing God's word. God's word has to be at the very center and I trust that here in this church that this is what you practice. That it's God's word that is ruling everything that you do. And I trust Pastor Melvin is leading you towards that. You know, God wrote a book to us. God revealed himself to us. His book, his word, the Bible is our standard. If anything doesn't line up with God's word, we throw it out. God's word has to rule. It has to be at the center if God's word and his spirit are not at the center, we are spinning our wheels as the church. We would be seeking our own desires, making it up as we go apart from God's word. But God's word needs to dwell in the church richly. You know, there's a church, and I'll say it in quotations, there's a church in Calgary that calls themselves the secular church. They get together on Sunday morning. They eat together. They gather together. They sing songs together. But they despise God's word. They want nothing to do with God's word. That is not a church. A true church has God's word at the center. You know, in our day and age, many churches are moving away from God's word. Right? Let's, let's not talk about those things. Even in some of the news, you would see that some churches are turning away from the Old Testament. Right? We just want to hear what Jesus had to say. That's not right. We need to understand God's word is full, sufficient, inerrant, and true. It has to be at the center. Lots of churches are trying to minimize the effect of God's word. But friends, in churches like Harvest, we want you to know that we believe God's word is sufficient. That's why we want you to have God's word in your hand every Sunday. You need to be checking everything we're doing against God's word. A true church has God's word at the center. And so we need to teach it. We need to apply it. We need to sing it. Let's just talk about those points for a little bit. First, teach God's word. So to teach is what I'm doing right now. 
to teach God's word to one another. That's not just the pastor's job to teach to one another. We all, we all teach to one another from the pulpit. A pastor, though, preaches with authority. And in our church services, you'll notice that, that the, the preaching of the word of God is the climax. It is the center of the service. Everything builds to that point because God's word in his spirit is primary. It is preeminent. And so we believe in bold preaching. You see that on our pillars. So we dig out the meaning out of God's word and we, we teach it. We teach each other. In, our, in the ministry for the children, we want to teach them the word. Of, that's, they need the word of God. Right? We need the word of God. In small groups, in men's and women's ministry, the word has to be at the center. And then we want to apply God's word. It's admonishing one another. Admonishing one another with all wisdom. We, we seek not only to be hearers of God, as James would say, but to be doers as well. We believe that the sermon is not complete until it is applied to the heart. You have to hear it. You have to take it in. And you have to act upon it. And so we desire for God's word to change us, to be, to be changing our character. So like in your small groups, you, you need to be challenging one another with God's word, right? right? It's not man's opinion isn't good enough. You need to be challenging one another with God's word, holding each other accountable to what? To God's word. Praying with each other according to God's word. And then as you've seen this morning, we need to sing God's word, Right? We see the team here this morning under the elders' oversight, you know, looking at the words of the music, making sure that you're singing truth that is found in Scripture. We need to be doing that. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. You know, many of the songs that you would sing come directly from the Psalms, from Scripture. In our church, the children uh, meet together. They sing Scripture. And spiritual songs are also these testimony songs. What has God done for me? What has he done for the church? Songs that express what God has done in Jesus Christ. So singing the word. And so we, we design our services with God's word at the center. Now I mentioned that, that this is what we're doing. While acknowledging that the church doesn't do this perfectly, right? We don't do this perfectly. But that is the aim of the church. That is the goal of the church. We want the Lord to receive our best. And we want our best to be rooted in God's word. And then we see Paul here concluding this section. He says what? He says, do all of this with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So our worship of the Lord is, is, is out of an extreme, eternal gratitude for what God has done for his people. It's not that we're trying to earn anything or even to receive anything. It's to extol the matchless name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's why we gather. The reason we exist, the reason that you live, the reason that the church worships and comes together, it's because of the name and the fame of Jesus Christ to his glory. That's why you're here. That's why we should be here. That Jesus would be exalted. That he is the one that is only worthy of all praise. That he is the one who receives all the glory for all that we do. I love what Habakkuk 2.14 says about this. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's looking forward. That's what's going to happen. And in a sense, that's happening right now. We pray that that is our heart, that we would be full of love towards God and worship and that he would receive all the glory as the waters cover the sea. Because why? Because Christ is coming back. Can I get an amen with that? Christ is coming back. Amen. And the scripture teaches us he's coming back soon. And we can be so distracted with the things here. Let us gather for the glory of the Lord. We are going to spend eternity in the glory of Jesus Christ, our Lord. So are you living for him? Are you desiring him? In whatever you do, in, in word or, or deed, are you doing everything to the name of the Lord? And are you giving thanks to God the Father through him? 
Friends, putting off the old man is only halfway there. You need to be putting on Christ. And we see that here this morning. Putting on those new clothes, putting on that new heart that he has given you. And you can see the supernatural realities that come with that new heart. This unity and and love and forgiveness for one another. And so we need to unwrap that new heart, discover those new holy compassions. You need to switch on that new heart, unleashing the reconciling power of forgiveness. You need to set up that new heart, governing it with harmonious love and peace. And you need to charge it up. You need to keep that thing charged up. Fueling it with word-driven worship. Your life should be centered on word-driven worship. Not just here. Every day of your life is and can be worship with this new heart. And remember, all of this comes from Christ. You cannot whip this up on your own. This is not something that we just, just go and do this. This is something that is gifted to you. As you were saved from your sin, as you believe in the gospel, which is that Jesus was sent to earth to live the perfect life that you could not live and to die the death that you deserve and that he rose from the grave. When you believe in that, you believe that your sins are worthy of eternal damnation, but Christ died, lived for you. You get that new heart and you got to act upon it, switch it on, run with it. All to God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity we have to gather together under your word and to learn of these new clothes that you have given us in Jesus Christ. That yes, we are to be putting off the old man. We are to be running from sin. We are to be checking everything that we do against your word. But that we need to be putting on Jesus Christ which is an active, ongoing pursuit of the Lord through his word for his glory. Lord, we thank you for your grace, that you are a God who loves us, that you are a God who forgives us, past, present, future. You remove our sin as far as the east is from the west. You are a God full of love and mercy and grace, and we praise you for that. And Lord, as we close today, let us remember that we need you. We need your spirit. We need your word. We need you. This new heart is from you. It is full of options that are given from you. Lord, we need you. We trust you this morning and we thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.